0: Uh, Before we go into John chapter 4, but you can already turn there, um, I want to tell a little experience that I read about not so long ago, which really um, was very speaking to me uh, as to the importance of... Being timely, because as we already sang in the uh, opening song, and by the way, thank you to Mattison that created that beautiful uh, song for this conference, Overdue. We read about or we sang about how important it is to be aware of the times in which we are living. And uh, if we go a little bit back in time, uh, there is an experience that Dwight Moody had in 1871. Uh, Dwight Moody was quite a well known preacher. Uh, in the United States of America. And uh, what he experienced showed him how important it is to not wait with giving an appeal for people to follow Jesus. Uh, It was Sunday, October 8, 1871. And uh, the famous evangelist Dwight Moody had just preached to his congregation and he ended his gospel presentation telling the people to go home, to consider what had been said and to come back next week. And he told them already that he was going to make an appeal the week after for people to give their lives to Jesus and to follow him. Now, as the congregants walked out of the church in Chicago that evening on October the 8th, 1871, the church bells were ringing all through the city, and they could hear the fire trucks that were on their way to put out the fires that had just begun in Chicago. This is well known as the fire of Chicago. You can look it up in history. And uh, it was a fire that lasted several days. 300 people were killed. 100,000 residents were homeless after this huge fire that just ravaged through the city of Chicago. Moody's church was burnt to the ground, and he lost everything except his Bible. But there was something that troubled him even more than losing his church building, because many of the people that he had spoken to on that Sunday, he never saw again. And uh, till his death, Dwight Moody uh, regretted not having made an appeal that evening. As a matter of fact, this is what he later wrote. Uh, He says, I have never since dared to give an audience a week to think of their salvation. If they were lost, they might rise up in the judgment against me. I have never seen that congregation since I will never meet those people until I meet them in another world he writes but I want to tell you of one lesson that I learned that night which I have never forgotten and that is this when I preach I press Christ upon the people there and then and try to bring them to a decision on the spot I would rather have the right hand cut off than to give an audience a week to decide what to do with Jesus. And as I read that, I thought to myself, you know, if, if, if it was such a timely moment in 1871, how much more in 2020 or 2021, as we have just moved into the new, into the new year? The time to make a decision for Christ was overdue for the people of Chicago in 1871, And I believe that the world needs to make a decision for Jesus and that time is indeed overdue. We could say it this way, our world is on fire. A global pandemic, a devastated economy, natural disasters, uncertainty, yeah, and what's next? We don't know. None of us know as we move into this new year. And if there's a time to be right with God, I think it is now. And so um, this is our first message here at ASI. Our theme is overdue, but I'm not going to wait with making an appeal to the last message. <laughs> the appeal will already be at the end of this one. Today's sermon is entitled The Long-Awaited Encounter. And what, are we, what we're going to look at is an encounter that Jesus had with an individual 2,000 years ago, and then we're going to look at the encounter that Jesus wants to have with you and me today. And as we look at this story that we're going to start with in John chapter 4, I don't want you to approach the story thinking that you already know it, because this is always the danger when you preach from a familiar text. When you preach from a familiar text, you go to the text, and, and we have all our preconceived ideas about what the text is going to say, because we've read it, after all. But that's not really how the Bible works. The Bible is not a book that you just, you know, peruse through, and you read it, and you, then you put it back on the shelf. I remember once my wife and I, we were uh, doing uh, door-to-door work and, uh, and I met this young man and, and we we're trying to convince him to, to study the Bible. And, and he says to me, he says, I've read that book already. I read it several years ago. As if you just read the book and you're finished with it. That's not how the Bible works. The Bible is like a diamond, and and it's like a diamond that when you hold it up in the light, it reflects to every single direction. And when you twist that diamond, there are new reflections that appear, new colors that we see that we have previously not seen. And so think about the Bible as that diamond that you hold up in the light. Think about it, that you twist it and turn it, and there are new dimensions about God's character and about your call and about the times in which we're living. There are new appeals that are being made to you. That's how we should read the Bible, amen? We should read the Bible with a great interest to always receive something fresh, something new, something that we've not seen before. You know, we change also over time. When you read the Bible when you were 15, that's not the same way. You're not the same person when you're reading the Bible when you're 20 or 25 or 30 or 35. So you change, and the Bible truths are revealed to you in new ways. So make 2021 a year of Bible reading. Amen? I actually just posted this on one of my social media yesterday. I said, we need to turn the page. Because, you know, think about it. Everyone is ready to turn the page, right? Everyone wants to move on from 2020 to 2021. Everyone wants to turn the page and get, get, get past 2020. But there are certain things that we cannot change. There are certain things that are happening in the world that we do not have any influence over. But then there are other parts of our life that we absolutely do have control over. Certain pages we can turn. And may I appeal to you in 2021 to turn these pages. Amen? Turn them again and again. Read more frequently the Bible. Turn the page and let those pages turn you around. Let, lead, let, let them lead to you, you to repentance and a new commitment to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's go to John chapter 4 and let's look at this story that happened 2,000 years ago that I believe can speak into our lives today. The long-awaited Encounter John chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. Listen to what the Bible says. He left Judea, talking about Jesus, and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sikar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well... It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, I believe that this is a long-awaited encounter. As we talk about this theme of overdue, we could well say that this was a meeting between These two, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, that was overdue. It needed to happen, and it was within God's providence. Make no mistake, there is absolutely no coincidence going on here. Jesus had meticulously timed this long-awaited encounter. He knew that he was going to meet that woman, that Samaritan woman, at the Jacob's well on this particular occasion. Actually, this singular story here in John chapter 4 is a picture of the overarching story of Scripture. God takes the initiative to reveal himself to fallen human beings. We find this from Genesis all the way to Revelation. If there's something that is fascinating with the Scriptures is that it portrays a God that is always searching for lost humanity from the beginning till the end. The late John Stott, in his classic book, Basic Christianity, he puts it this way. He says, um, the human race, no, without God, he says, without God initiating contact with the human race, all we would be doing is erecting altars to the unknown God. And that's taken from the story of Paul when he was in Athens, And he speaks to the people in Athens and he says, you know, he refers to their altar to the unknown gods. And and John Stott says that's all we would be doing. We would just be erecting altars in our life to the unknown God if God had not revealed himself to us. God takes the initiative. God reveals his word. He, He has revealed himself through his word and through the prophets and through Jesus Christ and he is seeking an encounter with each and every one of us. He is actively seeking an encounter with you right now, even through the preaching of the word and through the reading and studying of the scripture. Now look at what happens in verse nine. John chapter four and verse nine. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So how is that for like a conversation starter? Have you ever been in one of those conversations that it's just just not going anywhere? You know, um, uh, we have a neighbor where we live. It's not you, Melvin, don't worry. Another neighbor where we live. And um, let's just put it this way. He's not very talkative. And so if you ask how he's doing, he'll say, fine. And um, what have you been doing lately? Hmm, nothing really. And then you got to think like, okay, what can I ask next? Um, Any plans for the new year? No, not really. And in the Western world, when you end up in such situations, then you basically resort to one thing that everyone can talk about, the weather, right? And so you might ask, well, what do you think about the weather recently? Well, terrible. Yeah, it's really terrible. Okay, have a nice day. (laughs) Bye-bye. But, you know, isn't that, like, this is like a difficult conversation to have, but Jesus is not taken back by difficult conversations. Jesus is not taken back by this somewhat, you know, very defensive approach of the Samaritan woman. He gets really straightforward, straight to the point. Look at verse 10. John chapter 4 and verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, "'If you knew the gift of God,' And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Wow. Jesus has something else to offer the Samaritan woman. Something that she needs on the very deepest level of her existence. It's not the water that she came to draw there in the middle of the day. It's the living water. The living water is the gospel, the good news of a Messiah that has come and that has set us free from sin, that has taken our penalty upon himself, that has died for the consequences of sin, that would raise, would be risen from the grave. The living water is the gospel message that is now being offered to the Samaritan woman. She's still somewhat apprehensive and defensive and she says in verse 11 the woman said to him sir uh, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where then do you get that living water are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock Jesus answered and said to her, verse 13, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I love the way how Jesus speaks to this Samaritan woman and seeks to draw her attention from something she's familiar with to something that she's not yet familiar with. And he does the same in our lives as well. When we encounter Jesus, he leads us from where we are to the place he wants us to be. This long-awaited encounter cannot be delayed any longer. It's not like, oh, uh," Jesus that just goes on and says, oh, I'll talk to you at a more on a more appropriate occasion, or when you're perhaps a little bit more open for this discussion. No, Jesus knows this is the moment. As a matter of fact, the moment is already overdue. This woman needs the living water right now. This cannot be put off any longer. Now, with compassion, Jesus draws the woman's attention to her broken life. Take notice of verse 15 and what it says the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's he's revealing the brokenness of her life, not in order to condemn her, but in order to make her aware of her circumstances and that she needs help, and then he's going to present exactly what she needs, the living water, the healing streams that flow from Jesus himself, the gospel of restoration. Now, it's interesting because um, this story kind of, you know, took on a, a, a new. A, it, it kind of took on a new life um, as we read it now with 2020 in hindsight. Because according to the story, the woman went out to the well at the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour would be the middle of the day. That was not the regular or normal time for the women to go out and to get water because it was the heat of the day. They would rather go in the morning or in the evening. So, what she has done is she has socially distanced herself. Now, that's a new word that we're all familiar with now, that we have been forced to become familiar with throughout the last year. She not only has Herself socially distanced herself. She has also be, been socially distanced from others. They have looked down on her, and, and and all that she has gone through. Her brokenness. She she has been avoided by people again and again. The last year has been the year of social distancing, and uh, even though there's a different reason that we distance from each other today than what is uh, going on here in the story of John four whatever reason we use to distance ourselves from others, the result can nevertheless be similar. And, and what is the result? It's loneliness, brokenness, depression, hopelessness. We live in a world where we all want to preserve ourselves. And I'm not saying that we should not socially distance, so listen carefully to what I am saying. I'm just saying that the world has become a place about self-preservation. And if there was already a human tendency to preserve self, this tendency has just been strengthened by what we have experienced in 2020. And therefore, I believe the story of John 4 speaks to us in a very special way in this generation at this time. And, and, and in order to further develop this, and we're going to come back to the story of John 4, but I want you to flip back all the way in your Bible to the very beginning. Go to the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 1. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And we want to further look into this fundamental human problem that pops up already very fast after the fall. It's this idea of self-preservation. Now, in in Genesis chapter 4, we have the story of Cain and Abel. And you might remember the story, but let's just read it to refresh our minds. And I want you to take notice of the, the interaction between God and Cain after he murders his brother, Abel. Beginning in verse 1 here. Now Adam and Eve knew his wife. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and said, "I have acquired a man from the Lord." Then she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain offered uh, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it, It's like God saying, like, you can do this. With my help, you can actually overcome this temptation that is now besetting you. But Cain decides to act on his human lower nature, his passion, and his anger. And it says in verse 8, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The first murder in human history. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Now take notice of the next words, and I hope that these words will just sink into your mind. God says, or God says to, uh, or rather, let's take it again in verse 9. God says to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He says, he responds to God, I do not know. And listen to what else he says to God. He says, Am I my brother's keeper? Like, do I have any responsibility for my brother God? Now, this is very interesting. Sin has just erupted on this planet. We have just witnessed the first murder in human history. The first life has been taken. And in response to this horrible scene, Cain says to God, am I my brother's keeper? Like, Do I have any responsibility for my brother? Now, I don't know about you, but as you look throughout the last year, 2020, as you look at the trajectory of our world today, are you, like me, seeing people becoming more self-preserving, less interested in their brother, less interested in people around them? Now, this gets even more interesting because for many of you that are watching here and watching online, you will be familiar with Ellen White. Ellen White was one of the founding figures in the Adventist, the Seventh-day Adventist movement. For Seventh-day Adventists, we consider her also to have received a prophetic gift. And she wrote what we call testimonies to the church. These are specially written instruction to guide God's movement in God's church on so many different matters. Now, we have nine volumes that she wrote to the church. Does anyone know the very first chapter that she wrote in the first volume and what it's about? In other words, when when Ellen White, under the inspiration of God, took that pen and dipped it in the ink and started writing to the church instruction, what was the very first thing she wrote? The title of the first chapter of the first volume, Testimonies to the Church, is entitled, Am I My Brother's Keeper? Perhaps she knew, inspired by God, that this was not just going to be a problem in the world at large, but this was going to be a problem for God's church. Am I my brother's keeper? From the outset, throughout the ages, we see this human tendency appear again and again. God raised up prophets to plead the cause of the outcasts and those that were marginalized. When widows were neglected and foreigners were exploited for profit, God spoke up throughout time. But you know what? This is not just a a problem that we see in society or in history. It's a problem that we see in the church. I want to read a little bit for you um, from that first chapter that she wrote, Thy Brother's Keeper. This is what she writes. I saw that the spirit of the Lord has been dying away from the church. He's talking about the Seventh-day Adventist church. I saw that the enemy is busy to destroy souls. Exaltation has come into our ranks. There must be more humility. There is too much of an independence of spirit indulged in among the messengers. This must be laid aside. And there must be a drawing together of the servants of God. There has been too much of a spirit to ask, Am I my brother's keeper? Said the angel, Yes, thou art thy brother's keeper. Thou shouldest have a watchful care for thy brother. Be interested for his welfare and cherish a kind, loving spirit toward him. She says, Press together, press together. God designed that man should be open hearted and honest without affection without affection, meek, humble, and simplicity. This is the principle of heaven, God ordered it so. She says, But for but poor, fail man has sought out something different, to follow his own way, and carefully attend to his own self interest. I asked the angel why simplicity has been shut out from the church and pride and exultation has come in. I saw that this is the reason why we have almost been delivered into the hand of the enemy, said the angel. Look, and you shall see that this feeling prevails. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, said the angel, yes, thou art thy brother's keeper. What, what is keeping us in the world today? Why has Jesus not yet come back? What, what, what is the, the, the underlying problem that God's church is not being mobilized in order to give the final message to a world that is waiting? What needs to happen? And I believe this is some of the answer here. And the answer goes all the way back to Genesis. Because we need to ask ourselves the question as members of God's movement, as members of God's remnant, Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes, you are. We are not called to preserve ourselves. We are called to help and guide and sustain and strengthen and motivate and lead those that we journey together with. Amen? I believe this is a call to God's church today. I believe it's a call that is overdue. It is overdue. We are living in a time where we cannot waste any more moments. And so my appeal as we move into 2021, or we have moved into 2021, let's use the days that are before us to be our brother's keeper. Let's use the days that are before us not to preserve ourselves, but rather to show an interest in those that are around us, to strengthen one another. As the day draws near because we are close to the second coming of Christ now Jesus is our perfect example of what it means to be our brother's keeper and therefore I just love the story and so let's move back for a moment now to John chapter 4 because this story it illustrates for us it shows us what it means to be our brother's keeper what it means to have a care for those around us to reach out to people that are broken and in need. And in John chapter 4, Jesus is reaching out to the woman at the well, not easily giving up, even though there's some resistance there. He knows that now is the time for her to receive him into her life as the Messiah. Now, after Jesus had said to her, her, go call your husband, after he has exposed uh, the woman's brokenness Uh, it doesn't end here. The conversation takes a little bit of a twist, and uh, we read in verse 19 the following. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now, it seems like a little bit of a detour here into a different topic a bit, bit, a bit away from what they had just been speaking about. But, but Jesus is not derailed in this conversation. Let's listen to what he says. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this Mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And he's not being like a uh, separationist here and saying like it's only the Jews that can be saved. He's simply pointing to the fact that there is a lineage that is being fulfilled. The lineage was through the Jewish nation. The Messiah had been promised to come as the son of David from the lineage of Abraham through Judah. And that's why he's referring very clearly to this prophetic lineage from which he himself had come. He goes on to say in verse 23, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship In spirit and truth. It's like Jesus is saying, like, it's no longer about temples or buildings, it's about your connection with God. And how applicable is that in 2020 and 2021? For many of us, we have not been able to gather. Now, it's been a little bit more lenient in this part of the world. That's why we're even now able to have a gathering. But we have our brothers and sisters watching online from Sweden and Denmark. And there are many parts of the world where they have not been able to gather for months. And, and suddenly a text that was written 2,000 years ago, that happened 2,000 years ago, suddenly it, it, it just has this new dimension to it. Jesus here is speaking to us personally and saying, you know, it's not about the building It's about your connection with God. You can worship in spirit and truth wherever you are. It reminds me of the words that Jesus said. He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Amen? Jesus can be in our midst, even though we cannot physically be gathered in one place. Have you experienced worshiping in spirit and truth this past year? Have you experienced the long-awaited encounter with your Messiah? I love how this whole um, dialogue, uh, this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, how it ends, because it says here in verse 25, the woman said to him, she's, she's like looking into the distant future, and she says, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. So even though she's going through struggles and difficulties and in her brokenness, she's saying, I have this hope because the Messiah will one day come and he will reveal himself. And then Jesus, standing in front of her, he is the fulfillment of all her desires. And he simply says in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Sometimes we are searching for an experience with God or waiting for an experience with God when he actually is very, very close. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I really blew it this time, so I have to wait till next week before I can start praying again. Oh, I was really derailed in my spiritual life now. I'll have to wait till the end of of the day and perhaps I can start praying again. You know, often we think, ah, a new year, a new opportunity. I'm all for new year resolutions. I think it's great. But remember that the mercy and faithfulness of God is new, not once a year, but every day. (laughs) Amen? Every morning. So, So we can seek him on every occasion, and he wants to fulfill those desires that we have in our heart to know him, to grow and become more like him. So don't put it off. Don't look into the distant future and think that one day you will have an encounter with your Messiah. This can happen today. And this brings us to our second passage that I want to study together with you. Because I believe at such a time as this, it is overdue. The long-awaited encounter that you need to have with your Messiah is overdue. And this is revealed in the Laodicean message of Revelation chapter 3. And so you can turn with me there in your Bibles... Go from John chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 3. And I realize that I have never in my life, I think, stood like this when preaching without moving. It's really awkward. But I'm a moving preacher, but I'm limited to this microphone. It probably fits with all the rest of what we've experienced in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Revelation chapter 3. Look at this. This is the Laodicean church, the message to the final church. And, 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 and this is the encounter that God wants with us, the long awaited encounter. And, and the problem, this is the beautiful thing. What we read about in John chapter 4 is something that the church, the Laodicean church, has to experience in 2021. Now look at what it says, Revelation chapter 3, and I think many of us are familiar with the fact that the churches that are revealed in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, they are not just historical places that John wrote to 2,000 years ago. They certainly are have a pl- uh, application to the historical setting of that time, but more than that, they, have, they are a prophetic panorama of what the church went through from the first century till our day today. And so we find ourselves in the seventh church. It's like when you go into a mall and you look at the overview of the mall and it says you are here. If you want to pinpoint where you are in the book of Revelation, you are in the Laodicean church. The final seventh letter is dedicated to the Christian world at the end of time awaiting the second coming of Jesus. Here we are. Now what is the description of this church? What is the description of the spiritual state of God's children in the end of time let's look at verse 14 revelation 3 14 it says and to the angel of the church of the laodiceans write these things says the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God and there's a lot that could be said about that but uh, this is not I, I want to focus a little bit on the letter verses in this message but it is interesting to note that Jesus uh, at the end of time refers back to the beginning of time and, 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 and certain truths were revealed from the very beginning, the Sabbath truth in Eden and, and the marriage institution in Eden and, 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 and the creation. And all of these beautiful truths from the beginning are to be restored in this final movement of prophecy, this final people of God, the remnant. It goes on in verse 15, and Jesus gives a true diagnosis of the spiritual state of God's people. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What he's actually doing here is the same thing that he did with the woman at the well. Go call your five. Go, go call your husband. Um, Yeah, you had five, and the one that you're now with is not your husband. What Jesus does is reveals the brokenness in order to bring the healing. What Jesus does to the Laodicean church is in his mercy and love, he reveals the brokenness of this church. And not just church as of plural, like the church over there, like Laodicea over there, Laodicea right here. We should read this as words that Jesus is speaking to us personally. He says, I know your works. I know your condition. And you are in need of an encounter with me. The long-awaited encounter. It is overdue. If there's something that is overdue in 2021, at the beginning of the year, it is that the church of God awakens to a realization that Jesus is still on the outside. Because a little bit further into the passage, it says you need to open the door. The door has not been opened. The door is still closed. And, you know, we can praise ourselves with all the accomplishments of a movement with millions of members and, and, and hospitals and schools and, and sanatoriums and Bible movements, and, but this doesn't matter if Jesus is on the outside. Amen? Laodicea needs to open the door. There needs to be a long-awaited encounter. This encounter is overdue. And God knows this. And Jesus knows this. And so he's pleading with the church. He says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Which if you, you know, if you uh, do a little bit of a uh, scripture with scripture comparison and you go to First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, it tells you that, that the gold is faith that is tested. Like the gold tried in the fire is a faith that is tested. It's a gift from God. God says, I want to give you faith. And it's going to be faith that will be tested. But it will become beautiful and pure and it will become spectacular. It's a gift to the church. He says I want to give you white garments if you compare that with Isaiah 61 verse 10 it tells us that these are the garments of salvation the robes of righteousness it's his character and the I self you can go to Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 it's the spiritual discernment to be able to know what is God's will and what is not God's will these are the gifts that are given to the Laodicean Church to you and to me individually There's a long-awaited encounter that we must have with Jesus, and it is an encounter where we say, Jesus, thank you for those gifts. I want every single one of them, and I need every single one of them. But we can only receive those gifts when we open the door. Now look at the next verse. Verse 20. Jesus is speaking here. These words should be in red in your Bible. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches what is the Spirit saying in 2021 what is the Spirit pleading In 2021 what is God telling us individually at the outset of this new year could it be the message open the door just open the door God can't do anything Jesus can't do anything as long as that door has been shut and it appears and it is very clear from the text in verse 20 that the door has a doorknob and the doorknob is on the inside and not on the outside Jesus is not going to open that door. The Bible says, behold, I knock. Jesus knocks, but he doesn't open the door. He knocks. And then it says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. So the person hearing the voice, the person hearing the knocking needs to do the opening. And so this is such a pivotal, important point for us as a church, because if we don't take this to heart, then what, we will le- what we're left with is knowing a little bit about Jesus, but never actually having him in our lives. You know, this is interesting. Let us, let us draw a little bit from this picture because I believe that a picture can speak a thousand words and sometimes the Bible, instead of just giving us lots of words, it gives us pictures to work with. And so we then have to work with those pictures. We, we need to think about the pictures that come off the page. And so here is the picture that we're given just in one, two verses that Jesus is standing before the door and he's knocking and he wants to come in. But he can only come in when we open the door. Now, what many times happens is uh, that we communicate with Jesus while he's still on the outside, when when he's still on the other side of the door. Maybe you have experienced a kind of Christianity where you kind of look to Jesus through the keyhole. Ah, he's still there. He's still, he's on the other side, and, and, and you try to study him that way. And, you know, you go about your life, and you do your own thing, and like, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the church, and yeah, the Bible, and yeah, this thing with Christianity, it actually kind of sounds good. And so you go back, and, and you, you look through the keyhole again, and yeah, he's still there, great. And then you go back to your own life, and you do your own thing, and then, oh, once year oh, it's Christmas. <laughs> I need to read the Christmas story. Look through the keyhole, yeah, he's still there. Is that the kind of Christianity that we have embraced a Christianity where Jesus is on the outside and we kind of now and then just kind of look to him through the keyhole? Maybe um, you even go to church and you listen to preaching and you listen to a proclamation of the words of Jesus and, 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 and it's like you, instead of looking through the keyhole, you have your ear to the door and you're just listening because Jesus is on the other side. But you haven't opened up yet. You're listening to sermons and, 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 and you're listening to, to talks about the Bible, but, but it has never become really personally. Still, he's on the outside. Some of us, to, you know, in order to you know, lighten our conscience, we even slip money under the door to satisfy our moral you know, perception of things, but he's still on the outside. Like, like how, sometimes we sing songs to Jesus while he's on the outside. Sometimes we, we can do all kinds of things in a, a church setting and, and we never open the door. I believe that the long-awaited encounter is the moment where we come to realization that we need to invite Jesus into every single area of our lives. You know... Um, Sometimes, you know, here at this school, for example, um, there's a couple of people, they have the master key so they can get into all the rooms. And uh, uh, sometimes what we do is, um, you know, Jesus is on the other side of the door and he knocks... And um, maybe after a long time, we, we, we do think that we come to a moment in our lives where we kind of need to open that door because, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, then it really makes no sense if Jesus is on the outside. And so, and so okay, um, I really need to open the door. And so we kind of like open it just a little bit and, we, and then we limit Jesus to where he can go in our lives. Like he gets maybe a key to come into your life uh, once a week. Maybe he gets the key to come into your life in one aspect of your life but we haven't given him the master key to come everywhere. I believe that this is the problem that the church faces, and this is the problem we face individually. This is the problem that I face. I, what, what the loudest in church needs to do, what we need to do, what I need to do, is to say, Jesus, come in. And not just Jesus, come in. Jesus, here's the master key. You can go wherever you want. Reveal whatever needs to be revealed. Work with me. You know, the Bible says that God is like the potter and we're like the clay. Shape me, form me, mold me. Even if this is a painful process, I allow you access everywhere. Everywhere. We need to come to a point in 2021, and this is my appeal. I'm not going to put it off a week like Dwight Moody. This appeal is right now. I want to appeal to you in 2021 to open the door so that the long-awaited encounter can actually happen. And I want to invite you to allow Jesus in every place of your life. Every place. And even pray that the Holy Spirit may speak to you and reveal to you what are those kind of corners that you have still not allowed Jesus to touch? What, What are those places where you say, okay, Jesus, you can be everywhere else, but I got my little secret room there. If you have such a room, and I believe we all have, open it up. It's now time, it's overdue, to allow Jesus access into our lives 100%. Because when he comes in, he doesn't just leave the situation and circumstances as they are. It might be painful, it might be difficult, but, but he's going to start a cleaning process, and he's going to start a restoration process, and there's going to be healing And that healing is what the church needs. Amen? And so my appeal to every single one of us, may you experience the long-awaited encounter with your Savior. Let's not, like the Samaritan woman, look into the distant future for that blessed experience that is right before us. Will you open the door and let him come in? It's overdue. How many of you want to say yes? I want Jesus to have access everywhere. And their hands raised here in the auditorium in Norway, if, you've, if you're viewing online in Sweden or Denmark or wherever you are watching this from in the world, you can just raise your hand right now and say, God, Jesus, I want to open the door. It's overdue. I have kept you at a distance for too long. I've been whispering prayers to you through the keyhole. I've been listening for, to your voice from the outside. But this 2021, I want a new beginning. I want a different kind of experience. I invite you in, and I give you the master key and I want you to reveal whatever you need to reveal to bring healing and restoration into my life it is overdue let's pray heavenly father I want to thank you for revelation chapter three in your grace and mercy you sent a message to your people in the end of time And Lord, as we've read this message and contemplated this message today, I want to pray, Lord, that you will move our hearts to open that door. We know that you cannot come back until that door is opened. Lord, I pray that we may give you access. And not only that we will give you access, but that we will trust that you have the best in mind for us. Help us to be vulnerable, to be trusting like a child trusts their good and faithful parent. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us. Thank you for this ASI convention that is different than other ASIs, but, but I pray that it be, be a moment that we come closer to you. Lord, at a time of social distancing, may we never distance ourselves from you. We thank you for your goodness and grace and place our lives in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.